Hey folks, you're listening to To Know the Land, a show about people's connections to land base, seeking to inspire resilience, reverence, and resistance for the land. Today, I get to do something I sort of mentioned a couple shows ago when I was interviewing bird biologist Matt Isles. You can find it on the website, toknowtheland.com. Check out the podcast section. I'd mentioned at the end of the show uh, a place called Hawk Cliff. And we're going there today. Um, it's about 7.30 in the morning here. I've been up for a bit. I made a big stack of books. I guess not that big. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight books I'll be bringing with me so when the hawks aren't flying overhead I can reference back <clears throat> to the books learn a little bit more try and get better at my ID it's about zero degrees now in Guelph uh, there's a frost on the ground we brought in some flowers in pots last night just because they wouldn't make it through the frost I should bring in the tomatoes this morning. Anything that's left. It was cool overnight. Kind of overcast. Full moon. The wind today is in the south, coming from the southwest. So it's not the most ideal. But there are chances to see peregrine falcons flying along, just along the edge of the cliff. There's a lot of peregrine falcons often seen around October 1st is their their premium height day or, or, or top day of flight top flight day so we're a little bit late for that but hopefully the peregrines haven't been checking their calendar um, just to give a list because if you've listened to the show in the past you know I'm a bit of a bibliophile I love books. I love learning from books. If I have physical teachers in front of me, that's even better. But the library and the books on my shelf and the authors I get to interview really, really help me. They're definitely mentors, definitely elders, definitely teachers on my my journey to know the land. And so one of those teachers was is Chris Early, and he's uh, the naturalist at the Arboretum at the University of Guelph. He's a really nice guy, great teacher, enthusiastic. You know he loves what he does by how he teaches, and I watch him teach, and I, I take notes on what he's teaching, and I take notes on how he's teaching. He's a wonderful man. Um, he wrote a series of field guides uh, for different birds and types of birds in the Great Lakes region, and I just picked up his Hawks and Owls of the Great Lakes region, published by Firefly. And I think it was put out in 2012, or probably earlier, pardon me. I just want to find the exact date for y'all. 2004, actually, yeah. So it's an older book. Found it used at a used bookstore, it was great. And then I'm bringing The Life History of North American Birds of Prey by Arthur Cleveland Bent, part one and part two. These books are older. Um, 
put out by Dover, and this was published in first published in 1961. And these are quite thorough. If you ever read a book on the natural history of birds of prey or birds at all, they likely are drawing a lot on Arthur Bent's work. This series, I think, there's. 11 books or 12 books in the series. So I'm going to bring the two that I have on Birds of Prey. Another one is Hawks at a Distance, Identification of Migrating Raptors. Jerry Liguri with a foreword by Pete Dunn. This is put out by Princeton. And this is exactly what's going to happen today. Um, it's just a ton of photos of hawks in flight overhead far away. So how can you learn to better ID your hawks when they're really far away? And just looking at flight patterns, uh, maturity, like if they're juveniles, if they're adults, and looking at in different lighting settings too. It's, it's a great book for if you're nerding out on hawks and you're not right beside them. Uh, Lone Pine or Partner Publishers uh, Press book, Birds of Ontario very easy uh, book lots of paintings of different birds and some quick tidbits of information but I find this book to be very useful especially if you're working with kids to get some ideas across really quickly learn a bit about their natural history and get you started and and, and not not small enough not short enough information that you don't really get hooked but enough information that you're gonna have questions afterwards and that you wanna figure out more. So I like that one, Birds of Ontario by Andy Besner with Lone Pine or Partners Publishing, same publishing house. Um, Peterson Gu Field Guide to Birds, Eastern Central North America. A lot of people say that this is the field guide to birds. Uh, it's, it's one of the oldest. This is the sixth edition, I think, the one that I'm holding in my hand. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's a cornerstone of birding. A lot of birders will have this in their back pocket. The Mad Isles, who I talked to, would say that the Sibley Guide is better. Uh, I don't have the Sibley Guide, so I just use the Peterson. The other book I'm bringing with me, oh, that was by Roger, Roger Tory Peterson, obviously. Um, a Field Guide to the Migrating Raptors of Hot Cliff. This is the one I read from. I'll probably read from again for this show later on. This is the book put out by the folks who help maintain and educate about Hot Cliff, where I'm going today. Also put out in 2004. It has uh, different hawks that you see, paintings of them, and uh, flight times, like migration charts as to what times they'll go by, and like uh, what their peak seasons are and peak numbers seen in a single day so if i look up let's look up the peregrine falcon it's got two photos of the peregrine falcon the adult and a juvenile and it gives me their peak migration times and october 5th 1991 there were 36 seen in a day on october 2nd 1996 there were 45 seen in a day and so I, these, these awesome archival skills used by the naturalists and birders down at Hot Cliff put together in a book to make it a lot easier. 
the last one I'm bringing is the Crossley ID guide to Eastern birds. Uh, a fella I met, Nip Tone, really nice guy, great teacher as well. I, I appreciate him a lot for a lot of different reasons, but one thing I really liked was riding in his truck one day with him. Um, he had this old battered field guide and you could barely make out the cover. It was just all torn. I bet you there was duct tape on the sides and he had his binoculars on the dash and we were just coming down a bumpy road up near Cape, Gro Cape, Cro Cape, Cape Croker and he just stopped the car and grabbed his binoculars and ran out, came back a second later, grabbed a field guide and he swore he saw an orchard oriole. And he was just, and he's a big guy, and it, it was just this beautiful thing, that sort of juxtaposition, this big truck, who was this big man inside, rushing out, getting excited about the birds, and then pulling up this field guide. And this field guide's really good. Um, it's by Richard Crossley, and it's got wide, big, beautiful photos of lots of different kinds of birds overlaid on images of their natural habitats in the background and uh, range maps and small descriptions of the birds and a little bit of natural history information not much but a little bit but if you're looking for a photo field guide instead of paintings this is a great one the Crossley ID guide it's more of a, a tome a backpack book instead of a pocket book maybe so those are some of the books. Maybe I'll make a list on the podcast uh, page so you can look them up. I, I should get to packing more stuff. I'm excited to go. I've been seeing a lot of hawks flying by uh, at work in my neighborhood. There's been a Cooper's hawk in the woods. I thought I saw a Sharpie, sharp-shinned hawk. Um, uh, go through flying through the neighborhood where I live and I just want to make a quick note that I want to change the way that we talk about birds too I want to stop saying maybe Cooper's Hawk apologies to Robert Rosenfield um, and other Cooper's Hawk uh, researchers and change how we think of them instead of naming them after like maybe William Cooper a naturalist a white naturalist who I'm not even sure, studied or worked with Cooper's Hawks. Um, instead, use a more naturalist name or a name that reflects the bird's identity better. Maybe we call it a woodhawk because of their habitat preferences of living in pines and, and wooded areas. Um, we can call it a woodhawk. Maybe it's like a Cipeter Sylvestris or something like that instead of a Cipeter Cooperi. Or Coopery. Um, yeah, just instead of giving them names that don't apply, why not be more descriptive? Why not be uh, better reflective of that animal's characteristics instead of some dead white guy? So today I'm on the lookout for woodhawks as well, although that time may not be here yet. I think they're flying a little bit later. But if we see any woodhawks out there, I'll be I'll be excited. I'm bringing my monocular, a pair of binoculars, a nice lunch, and meeting some friends down there. So stay tuned.
go to the 401, take exit 189 south to St. Thomas, Highbury Avenue, and then keep going, turn right on Edgware Road at the fork, left on Burwell Road, continue through St. Thomas, onto Fairview, all the way down to Hopcliffe. We've just turned off the 401 and now we're heading south, due south. We're heading, going to go through St. Thomas and then come out the other side with 11 kilometers to Hot Cliff. So we're facing south. If we could see it, we'd be facing the lake. This is Lake Erie. This is where our water goes from. Off. It's uh, the Aramosa and the Speed River spill down into Lake Erie. So we're going, we're going the right way, following the rivers. It's overcast, which is nice. It'll help us see the hawks better. Uh, are, are there any hawks that you're excited to see, Danielle? Oh, you know, just every kind of hawk, Byron. Um, love to see some kestrels, maybe some broadwings. You know, we see a lot of red tails at home, so nice to branch out. Also, the last time we went um, to Hawcliffe, about two years ago, I saw the most incredible kettle of turkey vultures that I'd ever seen in my life. I think we counted as like hundreds of turkey vultures. And they were all um, on the move together, moving south. So that was really cool. Our friends Britta Anderson, Adrian Yacovino, and Matt Isles were just walking out from the field and we met up with them in the parking lot. It was neat to see them here again after not seeing them in that space since two years before. And it was nice to see Matt there as well. Matt had brought his scope and everybody had a pair of binoculars and it was a very festive atmosphere for us all. It was really nice. And right away, I just wanted to know what they'd, what they'd seen so far. Thanks. Have y'all seen anything so far? Yes, we have. We saw the black-throated blue warbler. So good. Was it all white? No. It was it, still colored? It was still colored. Oh. A male, like, deep, dark, black-throat blue, like darker blue than a blue jay yeah and so good and then a black pole warbler like all in all in this area was warbler crazy yeah we saw a kestrel and a merlin and a juvenile bald eagle fly out over that way that i thought was a red-shouldered hawk but Britta was like eagle and that was like eagle confirming <laughs> and otherwise oh yeah we heard the toey oh cool Yellow-bellied sapsucker was in here, and then we also saw or heard the Carolina Wren. Oh, yeah, that I'm was not, like I'm a really beautiful before. song. We'll probably hear it again. Super excited, uh, Sharpie, and maybe like Ooh. Oh, two up there. And then who's that coming in? Two Sharp? Uh, no, sorry, Sharpie and Castro. <laughs> 
But I think that's a different kestrel to the one that's been buzzing around, I think. I think so too. That one looks like it's on the move. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Flap, 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 flap. Um, we saw somebody get mobbed further up the road. Probably like a red shoulder, if anything. And that's how the day went. Every time we got to talking about anything, suddenly someone would call out a bird and be like, Harrier, or Sharpton, or Bald Eagle. And everybody stopped the conversation, turned around, trying to spot it amidst the clouds or the sky or out in the water. And we tried to have conversations, but things switched so constantly. At least at the beginning, it was a little bit more overcast. But then when the sun hit and all the clouds were blown away uh, towards the west, when the wind was coming mostly from the east, it just blew up and you couldn't have a solid conversation. And then later, the wind turned uh, again, heading north from the south. So it was a bit of a headwind for the birds, but I'll get into that. Um, one of the nice things about being there is that you learn a lot while you're there with other people. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people sharing, as well as getting interrupted. But people are especially the knowledgeable folks, are calling out what they see and helping novices learn how to ID features. Everybody's helping, everybody's contributing to this learning environment and helping teach people. And it's this on-the-field learning or in-the-field learning that is so nice and it's something that I really appreciate one of the nice things about it, too, is it's like so many birds are coming by and so many birds of a species, it's like looking at flashcards. You get to see a kestrel go by and then a sharpshin hawk and then a cooper's hawk, and you get to compare them all. And if you missed it the first time, you just wait a couple minutes and then another kestrel will come by, another sharpshin will come by, another cooper's hawk will go by. And you start to pick out ID features and you start to imprint on what they look like from a distance so that later on when you're not at Hawk Cliff and you're just out, you can start to see these repetitive patterns of flight movements, uh, wing beats, size and shape of the birds and you, you start to know them better. And I love that about Hawk Cliff. It is in the field studying and I imagine to get to spend more than an afternoon there must be so enlightening to learning these birds, watching their migration patterns, but then learning about how they fly and, and getting to see them in different weather patterns. And it's just like, how are they, how are they moving with the different wind? But I don't know, even, even an afternoon is lovely. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that and deeply grateful for my friends who are there who are willing to share their knowledge of what they know with me and and yeah I, I, I'm deeply grateful we also there's been like probably 1,000 blue jays have crossed yeah. over now that's awesome it's so cool and I was wondering like are people 
in different areas noticing that the blue jays are gone from their area and they're just like mm. all in southern ontario or something or like what's happening with the blue jays right now yeah there's so many going over guelph right now yeah it's something that I just haven't seen before. Castro again. Cool. Are these all different migrant castles? Wait, how many are you seeing? I'm up to six or seven. I think the Hot Cliff book describes now as being like optimal time for the castros. Hmm? I think this book describes it being optimal time for the Castro. Yeah, right that so. kind of makes sense. I mean, there was one hanging around this morning, but all these other ones have been big, like big, big up high, flying with purpose. Yeah. Another two more turkey vultures out there. Yeah. Another possible broadwing just below them. Oh yeah. Like out in that dark cloud area. Yeah. Kind of by the. Forest. I see one soaring, oh, sort of making their way up. One of the more confusing parts about hawk watching and hawk spotting at Hawk Cliff is that when you're looking up over a field of corn or out onto a lake or just up into the clouds, there's very few points of reference. And so with so many hawks actually coming through, you start trying to describe a hawk. You point one out and be like, oh, a kestrel. And then while you're doing that, someone beside you might be calling her, oh, Cooper's hawk. And you pull up your binoculars and you're not only trying to find this distant bird flying possibly hundreds and hundreds of feet up or, or even closer, but you're, you're still trying to find them, but you have no landmarks to, to identify where things are in the sky. And then you also have... Uh, multiple birds flying through sometimes at like the exact same time at different elevations or different uh, distances away from you further further north or or whatever so it's hard to tell them apart and also there were these flies and dragonflies that were flying around a lot and sometimes you'd you'd look up and you'd see this little black thing you'd reach for your monocular or binoculars or whatever and you're like oh it's a fly or it was just, at times it was overwhelming. There was so much. Even even the monarchs are migrating. It might be, I think, at the tail end of their migration now, but there, there was some passing through. So you'd inevitably get mixed up. You wouldn't be able to see every bird that everybody saw because there are so many. And you, you, it's hard to find the reference points. And I think over the course of the afternoon, um, I... I got a bit more accustomed to IDing with, with nothing or like following other people's lines of sight or just discovering the birds in the sky myself. But it was difficult for the first little bit once I got there. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Loon. Common Loon. What? Where? Third one. Out here, like just below the cloud, the top of the cloud line, just below that gap now. Flying right. Oh, I see the cloud again, it's just like just yeah. below that. Where one did it? Really just a speck. But Small. Just flying in front of a couple of hooks. Oh my god, there's a whole. There's a whole group of hawks. Do you see it, Adrian? Two? Not yet. Yep. Loon's just gone. Oh yeah. The top. Just by that vulture now. I see oh, the loon. See the feet sticking out the back? Yeah. Oh, holy moly. <laughs> That's a big group of hawks, eh? Yeah. I've got it in the scope if anybody wants. Yes, please. I can't see them at all. Kettle? Can we pull out a kettle? Wow. Oh, Not yet. Wow. <laughs> That's a buzzword I shouldn't want to use. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the swirling. Kettle. They're swirling. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's like a definition of a kettle, right? Yeah. I'd call that a kettle. Oh, I see it now. Wow. One thing that I heard about the kettle is that they're not migrating together. They're individuals and pairs migrating, but they're just like taking the same road or like on the same thermals. Yeah, yeah. In the back of this one, they talk about seeing them from six kilometers. Some of the hawks can see their kettle six kilometers away and they make their way to that kettle. And then they're just like, oh, there, there's a thermal. Yeah, and so they're all just riding the thermal. Yeah. Wow, like, oh, cool. nice to see you. Okay, it's like catching a bus. All these are in this kettleish thing or whatever we're calling kettle -ish. it. <laughs> we can just call it a pot. In the pot. Can I check the pot? Oh yeah. Another castrol. That one kind of looks bigger. Are you looking at the same bird? The falcon? Or the... Oh! Oh, oh wow. wow. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. I'm looking at the castrol. That one's the castrol. Okay, yeah. I, I, that, I was kind looking like at a castrol before. Reddish tail. Ooh, look at that. Wow. Oh. That's like its ideal form. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Hello, my name is Adrian and I come from Scarborough in the city of Ravines in Toronto. And I like to look at birds and I especially like to uh, listen to birds and try and find out if they are alarming about mammals or alarming about predators and yeah we're out here at Hawk Cliff and I'm drinking some delicious elderberry elixir and uh, yeah so is this your first time at Hawk Cliff? I came a couple years ago and we were watching hawks, watching the counters, and it was so much fun. They were like Sharpie, AK, which means American Kestrel. And they had all of these code names. And it was just like some older folks with a pencil, kind of like bingo scoring. And I had a blast. 
And oh, who do you see? Oh wow, slight dihedral. Who's that? There's one coming in fast. Is that a Tuvu turkey vulture coming in real low? I'm seeing maybe a Kestrel coming through. Oh, little one, huh? Yeah. And then, oh yeah, turkey vulture there. Yeah. And there was another smaller one that I've since lost, but. Yeah, so second time out at Hawcliffe. So this is like, I like it because it's social and and naturalist stuff. You know, like it's yeah. like people are just hanging out. There's lots of time to talk, but then it's interspersed like with, it's like popcorn. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, kettle. Or yeah, I like that too. And what's really cool about today is the amount of warblers that are behind us and smaller birds behind us that I maybe like was just less familiar with last time we were here or maybe there are more of them mm. today because of the south winds yesterday all day and all night it's interesting to see how the, it's harder for the birds to fly across now yeah that the wind has changed is that another two kestrels yeah that one is the further one yeah so the wind has gotten a bit stronger coming yeah coming from the south, pushing against the direction of flight, or coming from the southwest. Yeah. So it's not the most optimal. But in one of the books I was reading, it was describing that a southwest wind may be ideal for peregrine falcons. Oh, really? And Why I was think, I, I guess they just ride on the edge of uh, the lake here. Like that one. Not a peregrine falcon, but. Yeah, but see, see how that. You want to introduce yourself? Oh, my name's Britta. I'm uh, from the area called Minnesota in the area called the United States. <laughs> What's the closest uh, watershed to where you grew up? Uh, the Mississippi River watershed, which is. Would that be part of. That's like I mean, watershed. it's like its own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Mississippi River watershed. Yeah. Because the Great Lakes watershed, I think, is a little bit farther north from where I was living in Minnesota, potentially. Mm. I'm more from like uh, central east. Oh. Osprey. No, not. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, now what does it look like to you? That's a oh, golf. Oh. Yeah, they both do that. Ah, that yeah. like pointy wing thing. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, so I grew up by the St. Croix, what's called the St. Croix River in Minnesota, which is um, used as the land uh, boundary between the states of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like how natural formations of land can be used as land boundaries. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then the St. Croix goes down and flows into the Mississippi and then cool. on and on. So. Is this your first time at Hot Cliff? It's not. It's my second time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really fun. I'm so glad to be back. Um, we, last year, Adrian and I went to a place you can see on my hat called Hawk Ridge. Confusing places that are, have almost the same name. Um, 
and where was that? That is in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. So it's a it's a ridge, really high up ridge above Lake Superior, mm-hmm. in that um, kind of like far west tip of Lake Superior, mm. where it kind of like goes. Start turning to south. Call it. Yeah, yeah. Starts yeah. turning south before it come. Um, if you followed the shore before, it would come back east. Yeah. Um, so that's another migratory bird hotspot, and that was really cool. Who'd you see there? Um, who did we see there? I actually, one of my fun memories from there was seeing, seeing cedar waxwings. <laughs> so not raptor family, but like, yeah. I just love cedar waxwings, and I was like, oh, cedar waxwings. Um, we also saw, it's more of like a, like a, more of an official type spot than Hawk Cliff. So they have like, um, you know, ornithologists and doing uh, bird banding. And so then they would do like, you know, they get a bird in the net and then they bring it out so people can okay. look at it. Yeah. So like, I think they got a Merlin or something. It was really fun. You know, the guy came out, was, Merlin was just chilling in his hand and chatting. And then there was a bird release and that mm. was very thrilling for everyone yeah yeah um we also got to bring uh well we didn't bring them we met my friend and her two small children there and that was really exciting Mm. i love like yeah trying to get uh kids into birds (laughs) so i just heard an announcement of an eagle oh yeah an eagle eagle or ostrich if you have a question about a kestrel, you call it a question. One of the nice things about the day was that it gave us lots of time for storytelling and sharing, talking about experiences we had, encountering different birds our first sightings of different hawks, or even songbirds and warblers. And this is always great, because we get to hear other people's best practices, there's small bits of detail that tells us, you know, like, when's a good time to head out? Where do you go? What were the surroundings like? Gives us lots of chances to ask each other questions. And storytelling is, is... how we've always learned, humans forever. That's why storytelling is so impactful and so profound and so multi-purpose. One thing I really appreciate about storytelling is it can also offer not just the patterns that we always see to look out for, but the unique things that we find as well, the things that surprise us or stand out for us. I like doing the slow walk in the morning in the springtime where you just hear like a tiny little like and you have to just wait and wait for the bird to come out. Yeah. It's like a real practice in listening. I got a good video in the spring of a black-throated blue warbler. Oh, really? It was just just doing a sit spot. I heard it, saw it come close, and then took off. And I pulled out my phone and just in case, and they came by again. And oh, 
filmed it. It's really nice. I love them. I think they're so beautiful. Yeah, they, they are, certainly are. The first time I saw one, it was hunting a moth, and it just like got the moth Whoa. on the ground and like just flew off with the moth in its mouth. Mm. It was really like a nice uh, video that I replay often in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen one actually. I'm not sure. Until today. The didn't y'all see a black sort of blue? blue? Oh, I don't know if I saw it. Oh, you didn't see it? No, okay. I couldn't find it yeah. in oh, okay. the trees. You know, sometimes... Something I might have it. seen a glimpse of it, yeah. but I didn't really get to look at it. Yeah. The first time I saw one was at the University of Guelph, and I was walking along the sidewalk, and they just hopped out, wow. and he was just like looking up like, no, <laughs> I like this place. And I walked by him, and then I realized, wait, wait, wait. And I turned around, and he was gone. Oh, oh. that's, that's good. That's like... But he, he, they look like they're wearing their suits, you know, their fine, yeah. nice suits. We caught one at one point that was a bilateral skyandromorph. So like male, female. Wow. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Bilateral andromorph. Bilateral something gyandromorph. Gyandromorph. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, that article about the cardinal Yeah. a couple of years ago. The yellow cardinal? Uh, oh, the bilateral. one. Bilateral. Right, okay. And it was like just red on one side mm. and then the like mm -hmm. yellowy red on the other side. It's great. So beautiful. I think female cardinals are really underrated. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. They are beautiful. Cool. Yeah. I think a lot of the female birds are underrated for like the yeah, kind of warrior. Yeah. Wow. My eyes are playing tricks on me now. Yeah. My eyes are getting tired. It's two northern harriers struggling against the southwest wind. Oh, they're so lithe in their flight. Like, I think it's deft is the appropriate word. How they twist and turn to maximize the use of the wind to give them lift. And then also so they can sort of cut into it, and get a little bit forward. Oh, here comes another one. Harrier after harrier after harrier. White tail coverts like a white butt. The wings just banded black and white. The facial discs is what I really look for. They they sort of have a owly face. If you can imagine the facial discs of an owl, so that they can hear. Harriers are beautiful like that. Very unusual for a lot of a lot of hawks in our area. I can't remember the scientific name. I'm on the edge of the cliff now and around me there's <laughs> around me there's corn a little bit ahead. Um, there's some wild grape 
some golden rods. Uh, and some special finds for some autumn olive. And I know that those are pretty common. Uh, Non-native species, I believe. And, but I don't see them a lot in Guelph. Oh, who's that? Another large raptor over behind the tree line. Wow, it's the turkey vulture flying low. Really coasty. Older, deep red head. The young ones have sort of blacker heads. And I asked once at a workshop, like, why do those heads change color? And haven't been able to, haven't been able to tell. Not only why, probably just indicates sexual maturity, but mostly, I guess, how. What is the mechanism that's occurring that the pigmentation changes? Haven't been able to figure that out for a while. So yeah, there's autumn olive, and then I think what I see as a buffalo berry, which kind of looks like an autumn olive, but not as, not as powdery white looking, and it's a bit sweeter, the berries, and everything seems ripe. That turkey vulture is behind me now, just coasting on the wind. Oh, you're beautiful. What a picturesque place to to watch the turning of the world, you know, like the changing seasons and all that natural phenomena that occurs right now. What a lovely place. And to think that this is, this place is slowly eroding falling back into the lake. These cliffs are sandy. There's cliff swallow holes. It looks like they're easily dug out of the sand. We decided to leave Hawk Cliff shortly after that last little bit was recorded while sitting out at the sandy cliff sides. And we were headed to a long point and eventually just spent the rest of the day in Bacchus Woods. But on the way out, Danielle had told me that Matt Isles had fallen in love with the Northern Harriers a while ago. And every time I see those birds, I'm newly entranced by them, newly inspired and in wonder and awe how they can appear to just hover in a good headwind, how they fly so, so low to the ground. And so I just decided I wanted to hear Matt's, about Matt's love affair with the Northern Harrier. How did it come about? When did it happen? And how why? the Harriers and she mm. said oh you should ask Matt mm. yeah yeah they were like the first bird that I really 
like did some work with back in back in the UK and um, yeah just we were spending some time on the Isle of Man which is close to Liverpool where I was living for school and um, there's only like 20 pairs of them that breed in the UK are they the same northern harrier they're called hen harriers they are the same species um, although I think different subspecies and I think there's some work being done to potentially split them Mm. further Um, yeah like 20 pairs they've been persecuted a lot because of like uh, management of upland um, like heath habitat for grouse shooting mostly and so um, like a lot of gamekeepers have persecuted them over the year and over the years and shot them same with the golden eagles so their numbers are really a fraction of what they should be um, and yeah like a quarter of back then like what 12 years ago something like that a quarter of their population was on the Isle of Man like five out of the 20 pairs something like that wow and so we, we were out like the, something like two or three days in a row with like the Isle of Man's leading bird watcher the guy coordinated their atlas breeding atlas Chris Sharp and using like yeah trying to like triangulate where the suitable habitat could be where the pairs were active and eventually we found a nest with chicks in it um yes and yeah it was a fantastic experience got really close to them and really got to know their habits and yeah also their plight and it yeah. was just like pretty pretty inspiring the whole thing yeah they're so, quite beautiful i yeah. really like them a lot and like i was just saying on the recording earlier the facial discs are so unique amongst hawks are they budios they're kind of on their own little groups okay. they're, but they're almost like they seem to be like physically somewhere between a budio and an occipital yeah you know? yeah but they fill their own niche i think okay So we left Hawkcliffe, and like I said, we drove around for a bit, went down to Long Point, not into the park, but just about to Port Rowan, and then went up to Bacchus Woods and spent some time there, botanizing, looking at different plants, and just going for a walk in the woods with friends. It was just a lovely day, and I really want to thank Danielle for putting in the work of organizing all this and doing a lot of the driving, all the driving for us today. For Matt, for showing us around and being a bit of a tour guide to that particular area. And just so lovely to see Adrian and Britta. We don't get to see them very often. And to get to hang out and look at birds and do the things that we love all in a crew it's just a wonderful time and again those those birds are migrating until December Um, they'll peter out a little bit now's 
maybe less than peak season, but there's still lots of birds out and lots of time for more birds. The rough-leggeds and red-tailed hawks are still coming through. Kestrels, Cooper's hawks, golden eagles, more bald eagles. They'll all be coming through in the next few weeks. So there's still lots of opportunity to go visit Hot Cliff and check it out and learn some things and tour around while you're there. Thanks for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more information about the show, you can always go to the website, toknowtheland.com. Or you can always email me at toknowtheland at gmail.com. Take care.